Welcome to a special Royal International Air Tattoo edition of UK Airshow Reviews Display Frequency. Running into the show, starting! Oh! Yes, hello and welcome to a special podcast here with the React commentary team. I'm Dan O'Hagan, with me is Ben Donnell and Spiv Gare. And Ben, you've seen a few of the rehearsals and validation flights today and across the last couple of days. What's caught your eye so far? Well, flying at the moment, Dan, is the Republic of Korea Air Force aerobatic team, the Black Eagles, making their React debut. They were at Waddington last weekend for their Western debut, of course, with their eight T-50B Golden Eagles, an advanced jet trainer type, of course, also making its Western debut in the UK this summer, but one with a lot of presence, a big aircraft, a noisy aircraft, and a really good aerobatic mount. And Spiv, a programme full of star items, what's really caught your eye so far? Well, the, the huge variety of aircraft we've got this year is absolutely amazing. I've been in the flight centre here most of the day, so I haven't actually seen much of the action. I've heard quite a bit of it, but the thing that's definitely impressed me this year, the multinational nature, the various countries that we've got that we never normally have, and the huge variety of aircraft. I'm really looking forward to the, uh, the Jubilee tribute and then the large aircraft fly past from Bryce Norton. Absolutely fantastic for me. And, of course, you with your Royal Squadron background too, the Jubilee fly past means extra special things for you I guess. It does indeed yeah my flying background in, involved a period of about nine or ten years on the Royal Squadron at Northolt and then uh, tankers and uh, C-17s at Bryce Norton so the uh, two fly paths that we have the Hawk fly past in the E2R formation and then all the Bryce elements coming through to help in the christening of the Atlas aircraft mean that uh, it's a special day for me uh, over the next three days fantastic. And Ben, truly an international air tattoo. Well, there was a moment just now, Dan, that summed it up for me. I've just been outside watching the Alpha Zan, the UAE Air Force aerobatic team, making their Western debut at this show. And soon after that, we had a Polish Navy Milmai 14 Hayes ASW helicopter arriving for its UK debut. Then you had the Black Eagles on the taxiway next to you, so a Korean aerobatic team. Look behind, Colombian Hercules, Japanese KC-767 and everything else on that pan down at the end there, the A400M. What a lineup! And the weather looks OK. It does. We had some scare stories earlier on in the day, but the, uh, the Med Office are more confident that we're going to have a much better flying day tomorrow, possibly some showers. It's still unsettled, but the forecast for Friday through to the weekend looking much better. And we can't wait, can we? We can't. It's always a highlight of the season, and the range of aircraft on display this year just makes it even more so. Best for years? Definitely. Absolutely. The buzz around Riyadh today is much better than I've known it for years. The crews can feel it, and I'm sure the public will absolutely adore it. OK, so let's hear now from a few of the crews taking part in Riyadh 2012. Well, we begin with one of the undoubted stars of this year's show, the Republic of Korea Air Force's Black Eagles team are one of several display items appearing at Riyadh for the very first time. Joining us to commentate will be Lieutenant Choi. Here he told me all about their team and their trip to Europe. Well, the Korean Black Eagles here at Riyadh for the very first time. What's it like being here? Uh, we feel uh, very excited and um, we are all ready to surprise all the people. Just tell us a bit about the team's history. How long has the team been flying for? Uh, the team has been founded in 1952. Uh, there was a 
stop and pause between then, but uh, basically around um, 60 years. And how often do you display outside of Korea? Outside of Korea. Never happened. So first time here at Riyadh? First time at here at Riyadh, but we did uh, air displays at Waddington. What's it like being outside Korea and flying for public in different countries? I mean, um, you cannot express with words. I mean, um, it's very excited. I mean, um, it's historical, dramatic. So uh, we feel very proud. Uh, and what's can, the reaction mm. been like from British people when they've seen your aircraft display? Okay, uh, we have collected some some of the articles and the comments uh, that UK that the UK people uh, posted, and also we operate our pages and people visited our pages, and um, it was all about our compliments. And few other people say we are very competitive uh, that those are red arrows. So what an honor. The aircraft you fly are the T-50s, which we've never seen here in the UK before. Tell us about the T-50. Okay, T-50, first of all, um, we want to mention is it's a Korean build. I mean, it looks very similar to F-16, but uh, we kind of benchmarked the F-15, F-16, I'm sorry. Um, but T-50 is Korean built, obviously. It's a super supersonic trainer jet. So I don't think uh, anyone brought supersonic trainer jet into the UK uh, for the re this event. Um, and one more thing is we've, we've got very uh, big wings, so uh, we are capable of displaying uh, in both low speed and high speed. So there are very uh, uh, variety, of, variety of spectrum uh, that we can uh, do the maneuvers. Uh, you know, uh, just watch it. Just watch the show and you'll see the advantage that T-50 has. And how are the pilots chosen to join the Black Eagles. The Eagles. Okay, um, so pilots must have experience uh, flying over uh, around 1,000 hours with a fighter jet only. And also uh, they have to lead at least uh, four ship formation. And also um, they have to have an anonymous consent from the existing members. And um, they have to have at least one year training before they get into the air display. It's great to have you here. We can't wait to see your display at the weekend. Thank you very much. But who decides what you see and in what order you see it at the Royal International Air Tattoo? Well, that's the job of display director Jeff Brindle. What do you look at when you're putting together the display programme for the Royal International Air Tattoo? Well, essentially, is to fill all the time available with airborne action. But, of course, I have to honour the themes of the show. So, for this year, for instance, airlift, the big aeroplanes have to have uh, pride of place. And also, teamwork, we've got lots of teams here. So, um, with having a lot of aerobatic teams, one can't put them back-to-back, otherwise the sky would be full of teams for half the day and then none at all at the end. So, one has to space them out, interspersed with the fast jets, and then the light aeroplanes. So one tries to choreograph choreograph it in ways that make uh, the the pattern flow, keep the action going, keep it exciting but safe, and yet let everybody show their aeroplane off and their skills to their best ability. How hard is it to keep everyone happy? (laughs) Very. Being a pilot, I know exactly why. But of course... Each man believes he and his machine are the prime source of attention and one has to uh, try and honour that uh, feeling. Uh, He is doing his level best 
to um, entertain the crowd and also put his um, aeroplane through its paces. Um, and and so it, it provides me with some interest and often some debate in terms of who perceives the start of the show or the end of the show to be the best or worst place to be. So what have been the real challenges to put together this year's flying programme? This year, basically, the number of teams, because I wanted to um, give them all an equal uh, opportunity to put their uh, sequence together and present it in a a nice and eye-catching fashion, um, but spread them out such that there are not unfortunate comparisons made between uh, one aeroplane or another, one team or another, or one national characteristic or another. And, And funny enough, the national characteristics sometimes show through in the way the teams display their aeroplane. What's been your highlight down the years of doing this job for Ria? Well, I still have yet to reach the ultimate ultimate pinnacle, which is starting on time and finishing on time. But I still have hopes. But generally speaking, the highlight is always seeing at the end of the time here people slapping each other on the back, congratulating each other on a good performance and happy people going out of the gate. Avro Vulcan XH558 is never far from our thoughts, but this year, after a double engine failure in May, it appeared at one stage that she may not make it to Fairford. This week, though, the Vulcan to the Sky team has been hard at work with test flights to make sure we do get to see her over the weekend. Sean Maffitt is the Vulcan's commentator. Uh, Sean, it's been a tough year for the Vulcan, but things are looking up now. Yes, things are looking up. It's been a very tough year. Uh, In fact, as we speak on the Thursday before uh, the Royal International Air Tattoo, she has not done any displays this year. She's done a fly-past and no displays. That's very bad news in all sorts of ways. So, as ever, she lurches from one crisis to another. Um, But that's the nature of the beast, really. If if you can't get major commercial sponsorship, and goodness knows people have tried, um, you know, expecting the British public, the great British public, who've done this wonderful effort so far to keep on doing it you know it's it's very difficult she's costing two million a year um, and 10 million more than 10 million has already been spent and yet she uh, you know the, the, the it's looking good at this stage um, but it's never um, guaranteed and people year in year out will still get behind the aircraft no matter what it seems it does seem that way, doesn't it? I mean, you would think it was a, a sort of diminishing return situation, but it doesn't seem... I, you know, I've been commentating for more than 30 years. I hate to think how many air shows I've commentated at. And I don't know another aeroplane that has the effect that Vulcan has, with the possible exception of Concorde, which, of course, we shall never see again. Um, it's just something about the aeroplane that makes people go all gaga. And she's due to fly at Fairford this year both days? Indeed. Um, she's going to arrive on Friday lunchtime um, and due to fly uh, Saturday and Sunday. How can people get behind her and support her? Well, um, the other thing that will be here is the Vulcan Village, uh, which is a, you know, it's, it's the full-size effort, which will be alongside the aeroplane, so you should easily be able to see it. Uh, she will be... Um, 
available for people and one of the things that you get from the Vulcan village is you, you get to tour around the aircraft not not inside but you get a, a guided tour around of you know looking at all the bits and pieces um, and people should go if they feel inclined to the Vulcan village uh, and there are all sorts of ways of supporting her including um, a magic way of texting um, if I can remember the details off the top of my head what you do is you text the letters V-U-L-C and 1-2 and then you add one number or possibly two uh, to decide how much money you want to give so you can give one three five or ten pounds so if you wanted to give three pounds you text v-u-l-c one two three and you text it to the number seven zero zero seven zero seven zero zero seven zero and you'll get an acknowledgement and they'll get back to you and they'll ask you if you want to give uh, charitable giving all that kind of stuff and it all of it goes to vulcan I think there was, with the problems this year, a real warmth came out for the aircraft again, didn't it? I think it did, people. She's been so often on the verge of disaster, and people always come through. A lot of people say they don't, you know, it's just not worth it. But she does come through and has done. I mean, four years ago, if you'd said she'd still be here doing this, people would have laughed at you. Well, they did. Dare we say now how much longer she can go on for, realistically? Well, she's going to be around next season, um, all being well. Um, After that, I'm not so sure um, the fatigue life situation begins to creep in. And there is also the matter that we've lost two engines this year through this dreadful problem, um, which everybody's awfully sad and embarrassed about. Um, And so the the stock of spare engines is down. I mean, it's it's pretty low at the moment. You know, it maybe will get built up. So those are the two possible problems. But you know, she's overcome insuperable problems in the past, so she probably will continue to do so. Let's hope so, Sean. We'll see you across the weekend for the uh, show commentaries. Certainly will. Thanks very much, Dan. Now, as the commentary team, our job during the week before the show is to meet the arriving display crews, and the place we do that is somewhere the public rarely hear about. Time, then, to put that right. We're outside now. We're building on the airfield's uh, south side. Spiv, this is the flight centre. What goes on here? Well, this is quite an amazing setup, actually. Uh, prior to show week, this is just an empty hangar. There's a, there's a hangar with uh, about a 1,000 foot of space in it, absolutely nothing, and within a few days prior to the show, uh, an entire international operations centre is set up and created. Let's go and have a look. OK, first here, baggage drop, pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, quite literally, as, as vis- visiting air crews come, they're collected in, uh, in vehicles and brought here, uh, they then get rid of all their baggage, their domestic things that they've got with them, their clothing, their overnight bags. But also, from an aircrew point of view, we have facilities for storing uh, flying equipment, helmets, life jackets, and anything else that may have explosives in it as well. They get rid of their bags, they're a bit more unencumbered, and then they move on through into the rest of the building. OK, now we come to a desk marked UK Border Agency Immigration and Customs. Correct. You wouldn't expect to even think that such a thing would happen. But given the very international nature of the air tattoo, one of the first things that has to happen is foreign crews have to clear customs, just like you and I would if we arrived from overseas. Aircrew reception is the uh, the next desk here. Yeah, this is this is a fantastic setup here. Um, fully staffed by volunteers, uh, ranging from uh, girls who work with British Airways to, uh, to students and to long-time people who've been coming here year after year. Uh, an automated computer system that sorts out your hotel reservations, your transport requirements and all those other matters. It's, it's really slick, the crews love it and it is, it is one of the signatures of RIAT that this works so well. 
Okay, now next is a desk I think our listeners will be fairly familiar with, uh, aircraft checklist. That's right, yeah, all the crews that pitch up are required to give the full details of their aircraft. Uh, They're then compiled into the checklist so that people can check them off and ensure that they've seen or spotted as many or all of the aircraft as they can. Here we have an office which is very, very important. It is, yes, and an office that I used to be very familiar with in my role as uh, the Deputy Director of Air Ops here. Uh, The nerve centre Uh, for want of a better phrase, uh, run with a mixture of volunteer staff but more more importantly the core of the permanent staff. So uh, the Deputy Director of Aircraft Ops who throughout the non-air show period is in charge of sorting out the air show elements. Invites to uh, all the foreign national air forces, embassy visits to liaise politically to try and encourage participation uh, and then these people act if you if you look at it as a military operation you're looking at the oc operations of the base with then various squadron commanders running various elements around here so run very much on military lines but by dedicated civilians okay next we're going to one of our sponsors here jefferson yes they've been uh, valuable over many years here with with actually helping us put this room together uh, they have over the past few years built their friendship and their partnership with the flight center uh, they now in addition to their their military role for want of a better word they also provide a fantastic little coffee bar it's great coffee isn't it it's fantastic <laughs> coffee uh, uh, but they they actually end up as the sort of center for the air crew to come and meet have a coffee and 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 show off quite rightly some of the, the excellent software products that jefferson have got uh, available for air crews so no a really really good partnership to have here with them okay now moving on we go towards the more uh, flying display oriented uh, row of desks now we come first of all to flying operations yeah that's right um notwithstanding the reason that you are here at Riyadh, if you are flying a static aircraft in or if you are displaying uh, you need to sort out your arrival and from a, from a flying point of view you also need to book your departure slot and sort out your flight plan and your ultimate destination requirements so again a bunch of volunteers who are professional air traffic controllers professional air operations assistants form a little cell here and they sort out for every single arrival and departure they sort out all of those details input it into the national computers so that everybody can be as smooth arrived and departed as possible okay now next is the flying display desk now this desk i guess is where the show is actually put together it is this is this desk really is the one desk that most people who come over the weekend will be bothered about because this is the desk run by three people this year who choreograph the display they Uh, They work with the aircraft that they've been given to put together the best flying performance that they can. They then deal with each individual crew as they come through to discuss the exact details, any fine-tuning, any legal requirements, any changes to regulations to ensure that it all runs safely, smoothly and to put on a brilliant performance. Okay. with that in mind, we come to the next desk, the... uh Flying Control Committee. Yes, indeed. Uh, Effectively a sort of standards and evaluation team who control and govern all flying that goes on here, uh, but primarily for the display flying. These guys are seasoned display pilots. Uh, They are authorised by the Chief of the Air Staff to run a red card system, and if there's anything that they see that they feel to be vaguely dangerous or needs tightening up or changing... They have the ultimate power, and quite literally they have grounded and red-carded people in the past 
primarily to make sure that the, the display is as safe as possible for everybody in the local area and on the showground. Okay, well, next in line comes our good selves, the commentary desk. And sat here now, grinning at us, is uh, one Ben Donnell. Uh, ben, what goes on here? Well, Dan, apart from us uh, getting our notes together and various bits of preparation and so forth, and a lot of idle chit-chat, it must be said, we get to see the display crews as they pass by, because, as I'm sure you've been hearing, they come on this circuit of the room, and when they come here, they or their commentators meet us, provide us with information on their routines and so forth. If it's their commentator coming to see us, we let them know where they need to come over the weekend. If there's any notes that we need to be provided with, pronunciation of people's names and names of bases is very important. Also confirmation of anything interesting they've been up to recently with the aeroplanes. OK, well, that's us. Now, the desk next to us is perhaps the most important desk of all. It's the weather services desk. Now, the two young ladies here are going to, I'm sure, tell us some good news for the weekend. What's the weather looking like for now for the upcoming show days? Um, well, Saturday's looking not too bad, actually. We've got um, probably a risk of being a bit cloudy first thing, um, but brightening up some sunshine, um, but just a risk of a few showers in the area, um, mainly from late afternoon. So not as bad as we maybe first feared? No, I don't think, don't think Saturday should be, should be too bad. Sunday does look like a slightly higher risk of getting some showers, but um, there will be dry spells in between them as well, so not too bad at all. There we are. That is the most important desk of all here. I think the weather desk in the flight centre. So, Spiv, that was the the tour, and this is a very, very busy room. Absolutely. Thousands of people go through this room during this week, and thousands of them will go through on Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, when they start and depart. A week later, this place is empty. There is nothing here. It becomes an empty hangar. All of this is dismantled. All of these people either fly home and all of the volunteers go home, having had, hopefully, another amazing Riyadh experience. Riyadh 2012 is one of the most international air tattoos in years. Our friends from Norway have brought three F-16s for static display. Major Martin Tintin Tesli is one of the pilots, a man with a passion for his aircraft and also for one of a much older vintage. Well, welcome to Fairford, first of all. Uh, tell us about the aircraft you've brought here today. Uh, thank you. Uh, we uh, came down with uh, three uh, Norwegian uh, F-16s. Uh, they're old uh, Block 15 uh, from uh, the early 1980s. So it's a uh, very old airplane, but uh, it has been updated and uh, with uh, old new equipment. So it's, uh, today it uh, appears to be uh, a, uh, inside a very uh, modern uh, fighter-type aircraft. And what is the F-16 like to fly? The F-16 is wonderful to fly, and especially in Norway where we uh, can fly low in the mountains and the fjords. Uh, coming down here today, we had an uh, opportunity to uh, fly from Erland, which is in the middle of Norway, and uh, go through some nice uh, mountainous area. Uh, we ha did have to uh, uh, refuel uh, close to Oslo. Uh, and then we flew uh, over the uh, North Sea to uh, arrive here in the UK. We uh, were supposed to bring three Tiger-painted aircraft. Uh, fortunately, one of uh, our aircraft uh, didn't make it, so uh, we brought two uh, Tiger-painted aircraft, uh, and uh, we think they're, they're uh, decent and nice to look at. And where can people see your aircraft this weekend? Whereabouts are they parked? Um, 
they are parked uh, pretty much on the middle of the uh, aerodrome uh, and uh, they're quite visible. If you see a orange black painted F-16 next to a uh, white and black painted F-16, then you'll know that you're looking at the, uh, the Norwegian uh, Tiger uh, F-16s. You've also acquired a, a much older jet aircraft recently, the wonderful T-33. Uh, tell us about that. Yes, for about a month I've been the uh, proud owner of a uh, uh, T-33. It's actually the Canadian uh, 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 built aircraft, so the uh, specification is uh, a CT-133, but it's a licensed built uh, T-Bird uh, by the Canadians. Uh, it was in the uh, Canadian Armed Forces till uh, 2007, and then uh, an American gentleman bought it, and I bought it of him here one month ago. And it's a wonderful aircraft to have. It's a beautiful aircraft. It's a, uh, it's a 1958 uh, model. Currently, it's the only T-Bird flying in Europe. So my hope is that uh, I will be able to come back next year and uh, present that aircraft uh, to the Fairford uh, Air Show. We'd love that. What made you decide to say, right, I want to get myself a T-33? <laughs> there are many reasons that... Uh, I, I've I've uh, I've uh, been very interested in vintage uh, aircraft for a very long time. Uh, I'm also a part of uh, the uh, Norwegian Air Force Historic Squadron, and we operate uh, to have land vampires. So I've. Uh, uh, through the experience of operating that type of air, air, aircraft, I've seen the possibility that uh, it's actually uh, possible for me, with the uh, support that I have through the Norwegian Air Force, to operate a T-33. And uh, so that's uh, why I decided to do it. And uh, this year is special in Norway, because we're celebrating 100-year anniversary of the first Norwegian-powered flight. Um, so um, this year was the right year to uh, acquire an aircraft like that. You mentioned there the T-33, the vampires, of course. Also in Sweden, we've seen this year a Viggen back in the air, the Draken. Uh, why do you think in Scandinavia classic jets are so popular and uh, fly so frequently? Uh, I think we've, uh, through a long period, uh, worked with the, uh, well, on the Norwegian side, the Norwegian uh, Air Force. And I also know that in Sweden they have great support from their own uh, Air Force. Uh, and that helps in uh, making it possible to show these uh, airplanes at air shows. And, and, and the main thing for us is actually to show what uh, the history and to take care of our uh, history. Uh, the, in, compared to other places like the UK, there are mu uh, it's a lot, lot bigger. And the, uh, so uh, to get, uh, you have the um, Battle of Britain Memorial Flight. And I would say that this is a very much small, smaller scale, but it, it's in the same support system uh, as the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight, uh, but in Scandinavia. But it, uh, as you mentioned, it's a great uh, thing what they've been able to do in uh, Sweden this year, getting the uh, Viggen up. Uh, I've seen it twice already on, at air shows in Scandinavia, and it's a wonderful airplane. Just compare for us flying the T-33 and flying the F-16. What are the major differences? Well, the T-33 is a, uh, uh, a first-generation jet. Um, it is very harmonic. Uh, I, uh, also, the Vampire is a very harmonic uh, airplane. The F-16 is a, it's, uh, it's almost nervous on the controls. So if you, uh, if you think that you want to make an input, the aircraft uh, complies almost uh, immediately or immediately. While the T-33, uh, you have to uh, think through. It's uh, much more... Uh, it's uh, yeah. It's it's you have to think through the emotions a little bit more than uh, than what you do with the uh, modern type fighter. 
Well, enjoy your weekend at Fairford, and hopefully next year we'll see you with that lovely T33. Yes, well, thank you very much, and uh, yes, I'm looking forward to bringing it over to UK. Staying with rare aircraft on static display, how about the striking ex-Luftwaffe OV-10B Bronco? Tony De Bruyne is the owner, and he told me plenty about this and the other two he owns. I'm joined now by uh, Tony De Bruyne, who has brought over the wonderful OV-10B Bronco. Tell us about the Bronco. Well, the Bronco is uh, an awesome airplane which was designed in the uh, 60s in the uh, forward air control role, specifically for uh, use in the Vietnam War by uh, North American Aviation. Uh, It's the only airplane ever designed in this role, as far as I'm aware. And it was loved by the forward air controllers uh, very much because it was an upgrade from the uh, O1 or the um, O2s, Skymasters. So designed in the 60s, it's very maneuverable, it's a highly maneuverable airplane. Uh, it was operating pretty low to spot the uh, enemy positions and then call in the uh, firepower to uh, come and take care of them. And what's your involvement with the Broncos over the years? Uh, my involvement with the Broncos is these two airplanes we've got, uh, one of which is on display here at uh, Fairford. Uh, we acquired from a technical school in the Luftwaffe in Germany. Uh, which were used as aircraft battle damage repair objects and which we restored over the course of about uh, six years back to flying condition. Quite recently we've acquired a third Bronco out of a museum in Germany uh, which was stored outside for about 20 years and which has flown uh, recently again. What are they like to actually fly? Oh, They're absolutely marvellous. Uh, I own a Chipmink as well and the flying characteristics compare uh, very well to a Chipmink uh, flight control coordination wise except that the speed range is like uh, way uh, bigger than uh, the Chipmink of course. And when you fly at air shows what kind of reaction do you get from people who see the Bronco? Uh, they think it's a very unusual airplane, some people think it's ugly, some people thinks it's, uh, think it's beautiful everybody like has got definitely um, an idea about what the airplane is, so it it certainly um, uh, springs out. And where can people see the aircraft here at Fairford this weekend? Uh, We will be in the uh, Vietnam compound, all the way at the uh, beginning of uh, runway uh, 2-4, uh, close to where the um, Korean Korean, uh, display team is parked. And where can people see your aircraft fly at shows over the next few months? Uh, next uh, few months we will be displaying at Tessel. Uh, we'll be displaying in uh, Oxford, Fly to the Past, in uh, the first weekend of September, which is pretty close by. And then uh, later on we'll be displaying in uh, Eli in Berlin. But what of our own Royal Air Force? It's been a difficult week. But we'll see a huge range of displays from them, from trainer types to frontline jets. This year's Hawk display pilot, Flight Lieutenant Phil Bird, knows Fairford well. Well, I guess first of all we must talk about Fairford because it's your hometown, your home air show. What's that like for you? 
Yeah, it's fantastic. I've lived in uh, Fairfield all my life, so since, uh, well, for the last 30 years. And, uh, yeah, coming home to Ria uh, is fantastic. It's in the middle of a hugely busy display season, the busiest one the, um, the Hawk, the RAF Hawk, has ever had. Uh, but, it's the, uh, yeah, it's the highlight of the season for me, personally. So how were you pictured as the Hawk display pilot this year? Uh, it's the same every year, really. There's, um, there's a uh, group of people apply for it, uh, a kind of competition. So the station commander sits in the back seat of the um, applicant's aeroplanes as you do the um, arrows. Uh, you do some presenting to the uh, senior guys on the station, the station commander and squadron bosses uh, interview. And then from that, those same people, the squadron bosses at Aria Valley and the station commander, uh, make their choice. And what kind of training do you go through uh, in the weeks and months before the, sh- the, the show season starts? So that um, selection happens in about November. Uh, in about January, having put together a, uh, a display on paper, you start flying it at 5,000 feet, drop it down to 1,500 feet once you're cleared by your supervisor, down to 1,000 feet, down to 500 feet, which is the final height that we fly to, 500 feet for aerobatics and 100 feet for the fly passes. That process takes about two months, two and a half months, and culminates with um, the Public Display Authority being uh, awarded by the AOC of um, 22 Group. And what's the Hawk like as an aircraft to fly it at air shows? It's fantastic. It's really manoeuvrable. It handles really, really well. It's very forgiving, and it's uh, yeah, and it looks really nice as well. Um, in the paint scheme is in this year, uh, it just adds to that. So it's um, as a display aircraft, it's a real pleasure to fly. And that paint scheme, it's a bit special, isn't it? It is. We wanted something really special for the, uh, to the Jubilee to complement the, uh, the Olympics. Uh, and, and we've got it. Yeah, it looks, it does. We're really proud of it. It looks really, really good. So whose idea was it to paint it in that exact scheme? Uh, we kind of came together um, as a team, came back to some ideas around, uh, and that, uh, that dropped out, really. So it was a kind of natural choice to, uh, as a nice way of uh, you know, representing the service and flying the flag during the year. Any friends and family here to watch the display this weekend? Well, I, as I said, I live just here. So do most of the family. So, yeah, there'll be tons of them, I'm sure. No pressure then. No, I better make sure it's a good one. Now, the French Air Force have been, for many years, wonderful supporters of the Royal International Air Tattoo. Joining us this year, as in previous years, to describe the Dassault Rafale display will be Colonel Pierre-Alain Antoine, a man whose career has involved flying some truly iconic types. It's a long story, you can imagine. I joined the Air Force in 1966, and my first operational aircraft was uh, the F-100 Super Sabre. Before I flew uh, Fuga Magister, T-33, as a student, after Mr. Four, for the the operational uh, training unit, F-100, and after I flew 12 years, Mirage 3 and Mirage 4 family. First Mirage 3 in a squadron, Mirage 3E, in a squadron, uh, in a fighter-bomber squadron in Nancy, the third wing, and in this wing, the best squadron in this wing, you can imagine. (laughs) And uh, after I flew uh, four years on the Mirage 4, Mirage 4A, the first version, because the, the P version, they were A version retrofitted. Uh, I flew 12 years, Mirage 3 family, day by day. My first flight on the Mirage 3 was uh, the, uh, third, the third of May, and 12 years, my last flight, the third, the third of May. I flew after uh, nine years on the Jaguar, and I was a Jaguar uh, squadron commander. 
And at the end of the day, I flew as the, the on Alpha Jet because I was during uh, three years, 1991-92, the commander of the French aerobatic team and uh, the the three teams of the of, uh, French Air Force presentation team with the Patrouille de France, the aerobatic team with small propeller aircraft and uh, a paratrooper now disbanded paratrooper team like the area falcon but the name was uh, um, phoenix team phoenix of those aircraft you've flown which one would you say is your favorite excellent question <laughs> because i have no answer <laughs> <laughs> i have an answer of course but in three parts okay my favorite is the f100 the F-100 Super Sabre, few of them were export. Only uh, four countries receive, except the U.S. Air Force, of course. At first, the French Air Force, the Danish Air Force, the Chinese Republic of China uh, the Air Force, and the Turkish Air Force. We received our first F-100 in the French Air Force in 1958 until 1974. Yes, 74, something like this. And uh, this aircraft was very hard to, to drive. And we said that, you know, you have two kinds of fighter pilots, the F-100 drivers and the others. <laughs> <laughs> My second favor, but on the same level, yeah. the Mirage 3. Because the Mirage 3 uh, was an excellent aircraft and... I stay a long time in the same squadron, eight years, and you know that the, the, the aircraft produced by Dassault Aviation are marvelous. And uh, I, I get all my step in my career from young pilot to uh, full, uh, full uh, flight, flight commander and so on. And the third... Still on the same level, the Jaguar, because the Jaguar was a, a, a bomb carrier. It was a, a, a very strong aircraft, very simple, excellent for the war, especially in Africa, because uh, in Africa, for example, it's impossible to fly with an F-16. Why? Because the, the, the runway, the taxiway in Africa are full of... Uh, uh, gravels and with a F-16, you you, you start you start to taxi and you stop immediately and you change the engine. And uh, the Jaguar was probably the same in the Royal Air Force. Probably the only aircraft in the French Air Force capable to carry all the ordnance. It was not the Formula One. It was a good aircraft. To, to perform the war, to perform the war. One example, one, uh, one of them, serial number is the A91. The A91 uh, received bullets from, uh, during the attack in Chad of the Wadidum uh, Libyan Air Base in north of Chad, with one engine in fire. The second engine with red lamp for uh, both both red lamp for afterburner, 
the limit of the the the, the, the temperature gas exhaust at one one thousand degrees because the maximum was one thousand. The pilot land safely in north of uh, of uh, Saudi Arabia in an emergency landing uh, ground. But uh, this aircraft was very strong. Tell us about your time as the commander of the Patrouille de France. It was marvelous, but but the problem is the commander of the the director the director of the three teams is not the leader in flight of the Patrouille de France. And it's difficult to, to speak with the pilot because you are not in the team. Before I was a squadron commander, it's always possible with your flight commander and said, OK, tomorrow, on the order, I am the leader with eight aircraft. We go for a mud mission in, uh, in, uh, in Germany. I am the boss, I am the leader, and in my squadron, it's like this. It's not exactly like this when you are in the Patrouille de France. But, of course, I follow, continue to follow the Patrouille de France. And last, last week, I was with the Patrouille de France. Next week, I, wa- I will be with the Patrouille de France in another air show. And you imagine that I am a reservist now, but today, this weekend, I am on duty, of course. And... Um, when I was the director, very often the leader gave me the lead of the team for ferry flight and so on, including a loop, for, for example, uh, over the arrival, arrival base and so on. But I had preferred to be a, an operational squadron commander than the Patrouille de France commander. Of course, the the life is very lucky. You are receiving a great hotel. Uh, you are always VIPs. Uh, you are in front of the president, of uh, the, the, the member of parliament, uh, Lord Mayor, uh, everywhere. But oper- operationally speaking, I had preferred to be uh, in green in my uh, fighter bomber squadron. Riyadh, this air show, um, the French have given us such great support down the years. What does Riyadh mean to the French Air Force? When in France we say this is the mecca of something, this, uh, this air show is the mecca of, uh, of the organisation of uh, air show. But uh, they need a lot of people and so on and so on. And I suppose that it will be more and more difficult to organize due to budget cuts and so on and so on and so on. I can imagine. But, uh, but very often other, other countries organize their show. You have only one thing. Just copy this. Just copy this is absolutely the best we can do for an air show. And also, for example, last week uh, I was the speaker of uh, an air show in Avor. You know where is Avor in France? It's in the middle of France, where our uh, uh, AWACS fleet is located. It, this base is the oldest air base in France. And last weekend, it was the 100th anniversary. We had a lot of people 
45,000 people, free of charge. The entrance was free of charge. For the same, the same schedule in the UK, you have more than 150,000 people or more because you are the country of the Battle of Britain. We are not in France, the country of the Battle of Britain. Just in two brackets, between September 1939 until May uh, 1940, with the French Air Force and the Royal Air Force deploy, deployed in the north of France, we, dis- we have destroyed together, Royal Air Force and the French Air Force, around 1,700 uh, 1, German aircraft. And uh, the, the German lost more than 3,000 crew members. When the Battle of Britain started in July 1940, Goering, the commander of the German Air Force, start the battle with two-thirds of his potential because the one-third of the potential was destroyed during the Phony War. Never forget. Yeah. Never forget. Because the, 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 during the Phony War, the Royal Air Force um, uh, lost more aircraft than during the Battle of Britain, around 1,000. So what can we see from the French Air Force at Riyadh 2012? The Rafale this year. The Rafale will uh, be deployed tomorrow night because every year the first Friday of July, this is the, 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 the French Air Force Academy graduation. And we have an air show tomorrow afternoon in Salon de Provence, just after the air show, because we have only one team for, for the Rafale. The crew chief are here today with a Casa 235 deploy with a Casa 235 normally a tanker a C135 but for the moment they have technical problems the French Navy will deploy an Atlantic 2 a Super Etendard and a Falcon 10 and the French Army Aviation a TBN 700 that's great. That's a really lovely chat, and uh, we'll see you on the show days to uh, join us uh, to commentate on uh, yep. one or two of the items. Thank With you. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, Riyadh 2012 is almost upon us. It is an all-ticket show, but you can still buy e-tickets online up until midday on both of the show days. From myself, Dan O'Hagan, Ben Donnell, and Spiv Gare. We'll see you soon. Bye for now.